Amen. Well, you get a shorter sermon today, so I know you're disappointed. Hey, I want to, there's a verse that all of you are familiar with, or most people are familiar with, if you've been a believer for a while, and um, it's Jeremiah 29, 11. And Jeremiah 29, 11 goes like this, and once you see it, you'll recognize it. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, or can't, your translation may say plans to prosper and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for prosperity. That's not talking about money necessarily, okay, but prosperous, uh, for welfare, for goodness, and not for evil, to give you a future and to give you hope. Now, what's interesting about this verse is, uh, and we often quote it, we put it in our kitchen table, uh, we, we mark it in our Bible. But what's interesting about this verse right here is Jeremiah prophesied this to the people, uh, the nation of Israel. When I say the nation of Israel, I'm going to include Judah and Israel together, even though they had been split at that point. So God's people, they have been taken by Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, he was a ruthless evil Babylonian king, and he is deporting them to Babylon. And Jeremiah speaks this word to them. And he said, I I want you to know the plans that I have for you. I know that it looks desperate. I know that it looks terrible. As a matter of fact, it will be, the the future really is going to be for your children. Because many of you are going to die in Babylon. It's going to be a bad time. It's going to be horrific. But I want you to know that I have plans. I got plans for the future. And there's a hope. And Nebuchadnezzar was God's, we know this from Scripture, God's instrument of wrath. He is God's punishment, if you will. Because the Jewish people, the people who believed in Yahweh, were not following him. They were following other gods. They did not keep their covenant for him to be their God and for him to be their, their Lord. And warning after warning had come through prophets. And now it's that day. Now it's that time. But God gives them a hope. Let me, know, let me tell you about the future. It doesn't all end this way. And there's hope for the next generation. There's hope for the younger ones. But there are going to be years and years of literally of slavery, of death, and you're going to be away from home. But in that prophecy, there's another who will come. And there's another who is just like Nebuchadnezzar. He's a foreigner. He's not a follower of Yahweh God. He is not from the nation of Israel. His name is Cyrus. If you want to read the story, you can read before and after this, but just the uh, the, just if you just want to get a taste of this, you could go later on, Second Chronicles chapter thirty-six, uh, particularly about the last twenty verses. It'll, it'll kind of tell you a little about this story, and then it goes on into to Ezra. But God takes Nebuchadnezzar and He uses him as His instrument to bring about revival, to where the people are crying out for God, and they were they were crying out for His mercy. They are crying out for His leadership and His direction. And then after 70 years of suffering, 
God sends another, another, quote, pagan, another, quote, outsider. God didn't give him another King David. He didn't give him a Solomon. He didn't even give him a good king like Hezekiah. He didn't give him Josiah. He brought another from another land, from another nation, who didn't know Yahweh God. And through him, he restores the nation of Israel. He restores him. He uses an unbeliever, an outsider, to take them out. And he uses an outsider to bring them back in. Matter of fact, when Cyrus, also known as Cyrus the Great, and he's referred to in the Bible, by the way, 30 times. As a matter of fact, many scholars say that Cyrus's name was even given in Scripture. And after Cyrus saw the prophecies about himself, he was stirred. And the decrees that were made were from God Almighty through this foreign pagan man. And he's the one that said, all right, go back to Israel. Rebuild the walls and rebuild the temple. I'm going to give you money. I'm going to give you permission. I'm going to give you my blessing. So Cyrus, the Persian, which would now be the area of Iran, literally saved the people of that day. Many of them looked at him as the Messiah, even though he wasn't a follower of Yahweh God. Amazing how God do that. Now, let me say something. I know this is controversial because I already heard about it after, after the last service. So I'm, I'm well aware. I think we really need to be praying today because there is a lot of turmoil within our nation, a lot of destruction. I think Satan wants to kill, steal, and destroy and to rip our nation apart. And as believers, we have to come together and pray and seek his face. Because here's what we don't know. We don't know if we've got Cyrus or we got Nebuchadnezzar. But can I tell you, either way, we serve a sovereign God who's in control and he knows. And so either way, we need to be on our face praying and seeking the heart of God. See, God doesn't have to use a pastor. He doesn't even have to use a Christian. He can use whoever he wants to use. And it often will not be what we think. So we, as believers in Christ, must seek his face. Because it could be Nebuchadnezzar or it could be Cyrus. But here's what I know. Either way, he's calling us to pray. He's calling us to seek his face and to ask him to heal our land. Now, I just want to share three points of prayer with you today. Three aspects of prayer, praying like Jesus. The the last service had to hear nine. I'm just going to give you three. Okay. All right. So here we are. If you see and turn to Luke chapter 11, verse 1 through 4, the first thing we see about Jesus when he prayed, we see a pattern of prayer. You've all heard this prayer before. It's in the gospel of Matthew as well. And it goes like this. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us of our sins. And for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Now, there's a fuller prayer over in the Gospel of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, chapter 5 and 6 of the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, gospel, matter of fact, chapter 6 of Matthew. Uh, but Luke is reciting part of this prayer here. And, he, and we see the pattern. When you don't know what to pray, when you don't know how to begin, here's a good start. 
Here's a great place to start for your prayers and your prayer life. We see that pattern. Then we see a posture. We don't have time to go into them, but Luke chapter 22, 41 talks about kneeling. Kneeling, how Jesus knelt in prayer. And we see this expression used all throughout Scripture. Kneeling. It's a sign of humility. It's a sign of recognition. Uh, It's a sign of one who comes in honor. This is a picture of honor. And so we kneel. And Jesus knelt before the Father. And we see this posture transpiring. Then, some t- then there's a, there are times that people would lie down. We see it frequently in the Old Testament. And even in Matthew chapter 26, we see Jesus falling prostrate on the ground. Jesus, the Son of God, before God in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because he was broken and he's pouring out his heart. Let me tell you something. Your position does not make your prayer more real, but it is a reflection of your heart. Your physical position reflects your heart. Okay? If you don't believe it, um, how, does, how does it work for you when your kids come up and go, I need money. I need some more money. I need money for school. If they say that, what do you think? And there's something that just kind of go, eh, yeah, let's think about this again. Obviously, I'm not taught you well. But what if your son or daughter did this? Mom and dad, please. What would you think? You'd think, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, if they got on your face, you'd go, honey, are you okay? What do you need? Because you would know the sincerity of their hearts, wouldn't you? Children, I'm giving you some good advice right now. That's free, all right? And the third position we see in Scripture was standing. When we see in uh, John chapter 11, verse 41, Jesus was praying. And he was talking to the Father right before Lazarus. He, he stands and he lifts his hands. Matter of fact, we see that over and over in Scripture. Where in prayer they would stand, they'd lift their hands. It, it's a sign of praise. You see, when we bow our heads, it's a sign of humility. It's a sign of reverence. When we stand and we raise our hands, it's a sign, a sign of thanksgiving. Of recognition of who God is and where all of our blessings come from. So sometimes we need to stand in prayer with our hands raised in thanksgiving. And sometimes we need to bow our head in humility before him. It's so funny. So many times people will say, is this charismatic church? I saw people raising their hands. Well, charismatic means gift, okay? Uh, This is thanksgiving and praise. And if when your heart's overwhelmed with thanksgiving, uh, it's just an act of prayer. It's an act of praise. It's a great thing to do. And sometimes it's, it's just humility, as we bow our head and we close our eyes in humility. So what I would say is that sometimes people can just raise their hand without thinking. They can just stand without thinking. And so sometimes, if that's what your normal go-to is, sometimes you ought to just bow your head close your eyes. And some of the people bowing their heads and close their eyes probably ought to stand. Now you won't know what to do, will you? That's right. I'm just saying it's not like one is right. And the other's wrong, okay? It's what's going on in your heart and what is God, how is God speaking to you? And, and where are you in that moment? Is it a moment where you're broken in sin? Or is it a moment where you want to give thanks as you recognize all God has done? It's interesting to me that Jesus knelt. He would lie down upon the ground at one point and he would stand. So there's not a secret method We see Jesus that got alone in isolation sometimes. 
He got along by himself and he blocked out everything else. In Luke chapter 5, verse 16, we see this. And he would get before God. He got silent and got still before God. Is there a place that you go to each day where it's silent? I, I know if you've got little kids, sometimes that might be in the bathroom. I get it. Sometimes it might be driving around the block. I get it. But is there a time where it's just you and God and you pour out your heart and you listen? You let him speak through his word. You, you listen. And then the last thing I see that Jesus did is that he blessed him. He blessed his disciples in Luke 24, 50. He blessed them. And can I tell you a prayer that Jesus probably heard nearly every day of his life? And there are lots of prayers in the New Testament. You can go to Colossians 1 and Philippians 1. There are several prayers that are great prayers to pray. But this is a prayer that Jesus heard every day. Matter of fact, it was the prayer that was offered after the sacrifices, sometimes in the morning and in the evening. Uh, sometimes you might even hear this prayer twice. And when the children, nation of Israel was going through, uh, when they were going through the wilderness, they would hear this prayer every day. And this would usually close the day. And, and if you've been coming to our church very long, you've heard this prayer. You know how it goes? Uh, and, and let me tell you this. You know what this is right here? All you Star Trek fans. You know where Spock got this from? He got this from the Hebrew priest when he was, he was Catholic as a child. And the priest would raise his hand in blessing like this. And that's what the Jewish priests would do. They would raise their hand, but what they'd do is they'd take their fingers and they'd, they'd do it just like this. And it was a picture of the radiance, the, the Shekinah glory of God was symbolically the reigning and the blessing upon the people. And this is what they'd pray. They'd say, may the Lord bless and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. May his countenance fall upon you and may he grant you peace. May the Lord Bless and keep you. When he says, may I bless, may goodness come upon you. Keep you is protection. May he keep you. Matter of fact, that's the same word that's used uh, for shepherds in the Hebrew. There's a Hebrew word, and it literally means a hedge. You've heard that word of hedge of protection. Uh, in ancient times, shepherds, when they would be out in the wilderness, and there weren't enough of them to, to make sure the sheep were okay. They would build thorn, they take thorn bushes and they would build a protection and then they would sleep at the entrance. It's that picture of preservation. May the Lord bless and keep you. And may the Lord make his face to shine, his grace, his mercy to shine upon you. May his countenance, his presence fall upon you and grant you grace and peace. In a time in our culture where so much is happening, where so many are responding with hatred and pride, I think there's a great prayer that was written that speaks to our time. And it goes like this Jesus, I want you to be, I want to be on your right side. And on your left side. Not for any selfish reason. I want to be on your right side and your best side. Not in terms of some political kingdom or ambition. But I just want to be there in love and justice and truth. And in commitment to others. So we can make of this old world a new world. That's a very uh, 
I would say, a very good prayer for today. But it was actually written by Martin Luther King Jr. as he was going into Memphis for the last time. Let me read it again. Martin Luther King Jr. Jesus, I want to be on your right side and I want to be on your left side. Not for any selfish reason. I want to be on your right side and on your best side. Not in terms of political kingdom or ambition, but I just want to be there in love and justice and truth and in commitment to others so we can make this old world new. Amen. So here's what I want to do. So let me just say this as a preface. I know some of you are new here. It's your first time. You're already wigging out. I get it. Okay. By the way, just those of you who get bothered by the music, um, Martin Luther and other reformers in the 15th century, they started using secular songs and rewriting the words. It was scandalous. I mean, people were condemning people to hell because they were using the wrong music. Okay, so I'm just saying, don't get too worked up about that. Uh, Martin Luther can do it. We can probably do it too. All right? So let's move right on. For what I was going to really say. Um, I know you might be new. Some of you aren't even uh, followers of Christ. You're just checking things out. That's great. Uh, Some of you had to come with a relative today. You didn't even want to come, be here. Some of you might be like my daughter and you got the flu. So you don't need to touch people. All right? But. If God is burdening your heart for our nation, for us to seek the heart of God, and God is burdening you and you want to see revival happen in our land, you want to see not only racial reconciliation, but revival of the Spirit of God falling upon this land, then I want to ask you to do something that probably is going to be a little uncomfortable for you. If God places on your heart. If you don't, again, this is not spiritual manipulation time. Don't do it if you don't feel led to do it. But I'm going to ask you to, in just a moment, as we pray, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to come up and put a hand on somebody that is different from you. You know, I was reading Revelation chapter 7 yesterday. You know what Revelation chapter 7 says? It says that every tribe, every nation, and every people group will stand before the, the, lamb, the throne of the Lamb. The Lamb upon the throne, every tribe, every nation, every people group. One day, every knee's going to bow, every tongue's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And if that's the picture in heaven, then I think what real worship is is to get started now. Let's just go ahead and get prepared for it. All right? Let's start worshiping with one another. Let's start praying with another. Let's start praying in agreement that we will, we're not going to be divided. We're going to be united in Christ. And we're going to ask God to bless our land, to heal our land, and to work, even in spite of what we think, even in spite of our fears and doubts. And so I'm going to ask you to get up and move in a moment and put a hand on somebody that's of a different background than you, whether that's Hispanic, Asian, Indian, black, whatever it is, if you have, if God moves and stirs, and I want to ask you to just go put a hand on somebody just as we pray. I'm not asking you to do anything else. If you want to hold a hand, that's fine. But if you just want to put a hand on as we pray, just, is, just as a symbolic sign of unity 
and prayer that we are asking God for the same thing as one people group, as believers in Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask you to prepare your heart for just a moment before we do that. And in just a moment, if that's something that God has placed in your heart, I'm going to ask you to move and to go stand next to someone and put a hand on them from a different background than the one that you've grown up with. this time I invite you to do that if that's God if you feel compelled by the spirit to do it I invite you to get up we have men in the top right hand my top right your top left there are men up there Uh, some of you want to walk up there I encourage you to walk up that direction Let us pray together at this time. Help us to not participate in any racial acts against our brothers, Lord. Clear our minds of all negative thoughts. Free them of any racial injustice that may cause them bondage and break every chain. Diminish all separations of skin color in our land. Help us all to live in peace and harmony with one another. Remind us that we are all created equally and we are all children of your mighty kingdom. God, we pray your blessing upon your land, upon your people. God, I pray for unity. Lord, I pray that they will know we are Christians by our love as we stand together one in Christ. Not separated by racial lines, not separated, Lord, by ideologies that, Lord, Satan wants to use in our lives to bring about separation and division, but, Lord, that we would unite in Christ. God, I pray, Lord, that you would work in and through the body of Christ, the church, Rock Point, the men of Nehemiah, the bread of hope. God, we ask this for your glory. And let it begin right here with us. Lord, burden us to daily pray for those in whom we place our hands upon today. Lord, burden our hearts, Lord, for our leaders. God, that you would work through them in spite of what we may think or feel. We ask, God, we know that you are the divine, sovereign ruler of the world. And that you are not surprised by anything. So, God, we are praying but Lord you would lead us into a day in which we so seek your face that you begin to heal our land Lord let us stand for the sanctity of life let us stand for the sanctity of marriage and family and may your name be praised and glorified as we stand in love for the kingdom of God for yours is the power and the glory forever. And we ask that thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. According to your riches and glory through Christ Jesus, we pray this blessing. Amen.